Today's episode is brought to you by Slayhouse Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Jeremy, I did some math, and I know that's always a dangerous thing, but I calculated if time passed in the movie theater at the same rate that time passes on the beach in M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, Old, we would have lost approximately three and a half years of our lives watching that movie. Which is kind of funny, because I think that that math is actually accurate to how long that movie feels. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. Damn you, M. Night Shyamalan. I want my three and a half years. I've already lost ten years to the pandemic. It was another three and a half years. I mean, I would have missed, like, my kids growing up. Like, totally. I really wish that I had missed the portion of my life that I spent talking about and thinking about and watching old it was not a really great movie in a lot of senses. Especially, I think, visually, a weird movie. Yeah, it's... He had some odd... And Shyamalan... Shyamalan. 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 Bing Bang. Um, has, like, some weird camera shots anyway in his... In his films, but this one, like, like I, I get the whole I'm going to shoot the camera from the guy getting cataracts as he gets older kind of perspective, but like the weird like look at this person's hip while they're talking for like two minutes it was like really odd he and does, threw me off, like pulled me out of the film way more than than I wanted it. To. He does some really bizarre stuff, and he, and he's done some weird stuff in previous movies. Right. I think, for example, take Unbreakable, which was a comic book adaptation of a comic book that really doesn't even exist. Right. And he films Unbreakable in a way that it seems like it's all just a whole bunch of static shots. And he's showing us what's going on from this one particular static angle. And all of the action takes place in almost the background or the foreground. It's really strange how he kind of sets up a film that tries to mimic what a comic book would look like. And then here we have an old, almost the same sort of thing, because old is actually an adaptation of a graphic novel. And uh, even though this, the script might be written by M. Night Shyamalan, it, the idea for the movie comes from this graphic novel. And as a result, he films it in certain places as if we're looking at a comic book page and a whole bunch of dialogue going on out in the background somewhere. Let's do that real quickly, too. Let's give credit where credit's due. So written by M. Night Shyamalan, directed by M. Night Shyamalan, produced by M. Night Shyamalan, like... Gaff by M. Night Shyamalan, Mike by M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> catering by M. Night Shyamalan. Like, uh, he, he has Mike his hands. <laughs> he has his hands all over every bit of this movie. Starring M. Night Shyamalan? I was not surprised to see M. Night Shyamalan just show up as one of the characters in the movie. He's been doing that for a while, but it, it felt especially kind of weird. It was like, can you can you just not... Did you run out of money to cast someone in this role of, like... 
person who just says numbers to people. I don't I don't know why we have this star-studded cast of heavy hitters. I mean, Gael Garcia Bernal from Mexican cinema. He's got that again. I could <laughs> <laughs> He's got... Uh, who else is in this movie? Dark City Guy. Dark City Guy is in this movie. Uh, we should probably figure out his name. Yeah. I'm not... As much as Rufus I try Sewell. to be, I'm not Rufus Sewell. a Rufus walking Sewell. IMDb. Rufus I'm, Sewell. Yeah, I'm not either. Um, Rufus Sewell was in it from Dark City. That's the only thing I know him from. It's got um, the actress from Phantom Thread. She's from Luxembourg. Yeah. It's got the... It's got the young kid from Hereditary. Oh, God, that movie. <laughs> um, that'll be a totally different podcast. Totally different podcast. Um, yeah, so, so... And it's got the girl from... The only thing I know her from is the blonde chick in Lovecraft Country. Right. So, but but these are not completely unknown actors, right? I mean, they're they're... They have a lot of accolades. I mean, the the leading man them, and the leading sure. lady. Yeah, ha- I, they have a lot of awards. I, this is not M Night Shyamalan has awards for movies. Do we have time to go into that in this podcast? Like, why is so many awards? I don't know why not. None of them are for like the Airbender, the last Avatar, right? Or Avatar, the last Airbender, whatever. I really it's hope they're not for that. Movie. Okay. Because that was a terrible movie. That's an example of one of those bad movies. Go ahead. I think that there are many examples of bad M. Night Shyamalan movies. Old not being the, Just the, it's the, the latest. Of the, yeah. Only the latest. No, but he. it's bizarre to me how he has so much talent and then casts himself in a movie. And I'm sorry, but... That dude can't act. He is the most wooden of all of the actors in this movie, which is kind of hilarious because I think that as great a cast as he made, these actors just do not know what to do with this script. Well, and that that's something else. Like, I know he receives accolades for a lot of his films or for some of his films, but personally, if I were going by old just by itself, he can't write either. Like, this script is just terrible. It is terrible. Here's what makes this script so bad, I think. We've talked a lot about horror. We're about to talk about a lot of horror on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to come up with a general definition of what is horror and what makes horror successful. And I think for me, what makes horror stand out is always going to be that human element. How does the human condition reflect or how is it reflected in the horror horror or horrific situations we find our characters in? Right. right. So so when we change the rules of something, let's say we have a slasher who's running around a sorority and murdering people people how then do we react to that particular instance how do, how do we react to that situation i want to see him get introspective i want to say see him sit down and say wait a second what am i doing with my life and should i really be mur- murdering these sorority girls and if you say yes then why what have the sorority girls done for me to murder them or perhaps we focus on the way in which 
maybe sorority culture should become more aware of of its. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But perhaps you know, Greek life on the whole needs to reflect on on its positions of privilege, right? Or uh, the the way in which they kind of conduct themselves. Uh, you know, uh, kind of universally, if if you act one way in a terrifying situation, but you act one way in a, a different situation, you know, how is that consistent with your character or is there something that needs to change? I don't know. I'm not saying that we have to treat every sorority slasher like it's brilliant literature or brilliant cinema, but I do think that what horror needs to do oftentimes is try to dig deep into what is the human condition and how do we react to adversity or to adverse situations. And so in Old, and Night Shyamalan gives us a new weird situation in which you sit on a beach and you age incredibly quickly and as a vehicle for analyzing the human experience i think that this could present something really interesting it could be one of the best episodes of twilight zone that anyone has ever written and yet it ends up being the worst episode of lost it's just so unfocused it's so miscast it's so miswritten it's bizarre so from my standpoint i really like what you're saying about that but the way i i'm gonna think about i think through the other episodes and through this episode also is i'm looking at it from a standpoint of craft right because that's what i am i'm a writer um and so I'm really interested in how these authors and these directors and screenwriters make these choices craft-wise to get to that point. So how do they determine or define what horror is from a craft perspective? So the thing that I'm working off of is this basic principle between two ideas, um, plot-driven and character-driven. And so when I think about like plot-driven... Most plot-driven stories or movies that I've seen have been total schlock. Like, I have not really enjoyed them. But to me, there's a difference, and I want to make this distinction between character-driven and character study. Because character studies in these films and in movies and, and stuff tend to be really slow. They're diving into the, the, the multi, multiple layers of the characters and so there isn't a lot of action to push that along where it's internalized. Character-driven can still have a lot of action. What that means, though, is that the character is so really well-developed that the choices are honest to the character, and that's what drives the plot. And so, I don't think in old there was that great character development. So I guess the real question is, I mean... Yeah, do we think that characters like Mid-Sized Sedan are well-written characters? I can't believe characters? that was the name of a rapper. That was a real character in this movie. Like, I'm not up on my hip-hop like... Like, oh. <laughs> like Curtis has just cringed from that. I'm not up on on our on our on like hip hop like culture nowadays. I mean, I remember days of like Bone Thugs and Harmony and Easy E, but. Mid-sized, mid-sized sedan. sedan. <laughs> it sounds like M. Night Shyamalan also doesn't know anything about hip-hop <laughs> and was like, what would be 
a kind of generic hip hop artist's name. Midsize sedan. Midsize sedan is no longer as popular. Like people are more like interested in SUV now. I think he was just mad that his parents named his sister Prius. <laughs> what a weird movie and what a weird choice i think you're right a movie like this he's doing a, he's doing like, a concert tour with his country uh, counterpart pickup truck <laughs> pickup truck <laughs> now, now live in, in, in concert pickup truck in mid-size <laughs> catch him at your latest drive-thru <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, you're right. When when we talk about character in this movie, this is a kind of a perfect example of a movie that should be either character-driven or because it acts kind of as a bottle episode, right? We trap our protagonists on a beach and force them into some rapid aging. It should be something like a, a character study. This should be an opportunity for us to really get to know who are these characters, what are their motivations, what are they learning through this process. And I think Shyamalan pays some lip service to that idea with his two leading characters. However, I don't think that he does that very successfully because his focus the entire time is not on the human element of how are they being impacted by this accelerated aging process, but instead on trying to answer the question of, well, why are they aging so quickly in the first place? So let's address something really quickly before we dive into that. And that is this idea of, is there such a thing as... And I've got a couple of examples in mind of character-driven genre work. And so some books and movies that come to mind for me are, I think we both just finished reading this, Stephen Graham Jones' The Only Good Indians. Absolutely. Lots of action, lots of horror, character-driven. Um, Stephen King's It, character-driven. The the plot advances right. by the choices by the characters, right. and they all make sense. A lot Star of, Wars. Yeah, the original Star Wars, very character-driven. Absolutely. A lot of Stephen King's work, I was going to say, is is very character-driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just finished reading Pet Cemetery not too long ago, and that was absolutely a, a very character-driven horror story. It can be done really, really effectively, really, really well. And it makes the horror all the more palpable when you have strong characters that are making these decisions. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I don't think that Shyamalan keeps that perspective in this film. It's so plot-oriented. It's so driven by the mystery of what makes the beach such a weird place and not by how are these characters interacting with each other through this process how are these characters growing which is odd because they're certainly aging but not necessarily growing like i'm thinking of the actual dialogue from the film and wasn't it like rufus sewell who's like why do you keep spouting these statistics or numbers or something at us? And the main character, whose name is Guy, so that's easy to remember. And this guy <laughs> says, 
I'm an actuary. And like every fucking line of dialogue out of his mouth is like, <laughs> one in nine people will die on this beach. I mean, it's like, it's shut just, the fuck. That's all it's he is. It's his whole personality. It's a shtick. I mean. It's weird to me, too, how these actors take this script and seemingly do nothing with it. Again, coming back to this, this strange idea for casting, we have a Mexican lead. A leading man. We have a Luxembourgian leading woman, and then we have American kids. They're supposed to be a couple with American children. And let's and, be clear, they're not just like, she's not from Luxembourg and speaks with like a slight European or British accent, and it's he's a not very thick pronounced accent. And I'm not going to suggest that these families don't exist. I apologize if you're one of those families, and we're casting doubt on your existence. What I'm saying is that it's such a bizarre casting for a movie. It's already a, a kind of a weird, eclectic cast of faces from a whole bunch of movies. But it's just strange to me that we would have this couple. It's like, where did these... They they say something like they they live in Vancouver. But I'm like, but where did you meet? Like, But then they talk about living like the kids talk about living in Philadelphia or something. Like, yeah, later on. he's an actuary and she's a musician museum curator did they meet up on tinder like i don't understand Maybe the t-rex fell on her and he came to assess the damage <laughs> see these are the kinds of things that i wanted in my Shyamalan. well not only this but did you notice like the one little boy he's like six and you're right he has no discernible accent from either one of them at all but then by the time he's 50 he's played by like a british or by an actor of some other it's it's not an american actor and his accent's coming through at 50 years old. So it's like this kid who has no accent, like, develops an accent when he's older? Listen, I know why that happened. It was because of all of the new colors in their brains <laughs> that they were talking about as they're aging. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen this yet, that's actual That's like, actual explanation from this, yeah. from this. The characters, as they begin aging, suddenly start having new memories. But that doesn't make sense because that's not how memories work. And so as a result, they have to explain it in dialogue. Like, I feel so many more things than I felt yesterday. And that's, that's right the explanation of the, the biological imperative before the six-year-old who is now something like 16 or 18 ends up getting the little girl who is like four pregnant. But now she's not four anymore. She's 15. She's 15, yes. And she has her baby in the span of a half hour. Yeah. <laughs> And then, what is it? They they forget to look at the baby for like 30 seconds and Yeah, and dies. the baby dies of lack of attention, which I didn't know that was a cause of death. Tonight, Shamalan, let's, let's do us a favor really quickly. We like your movies when you don't necessarily offer up a lot of explanations, so... This movie just proved don't don't try the science. Science is not your your bag, man. Just leave it alone. I think that this is a good writing tip for anyone who's looking to write some kind of a supernatural thriller though, right? Remember that what's interesting about your story isn't necessarily the explanation of the supernatural. I think when we go into a movie like Old, we don't necessarily look at M. Night Shyamalan to say, I need you to justify your beach, sir. <laughs> I think instead we can kind of accept that the beach 
exists and we don't really care about why it does what it does i'm not interested in knowing why it does what it does i'm interested in seeing how the characters react to what's happening to them and what they learn along the way i also just don't want to go watch a movie where people stare at each other with the weirdest faces I've ever seen. (laughs) And it seems like, again, that doesn't necessarily serve a purpose to the movie except to show off whatever CGI or whatever makeup they're having these characters wear. There wasn't a lot of privacy. I mean, there's a very good chance some of them had to go to the bathroom. On the beach? You can't, though, with all those people there. I mean... I wonder what a 30-year-old shit would look like. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, like, those kids ate pretty fast, and they never did, like... They never defecated. Yeah. Not once in the whole movie. And that movie was 108 minutes long. Yeah. And we've determined that that's three and a half years. That's three and a half years. Yeah. And they aged, like, 40... 46 years, 44 years? Like the one boy aged they were 44 in their, years? They, were in, they were in their 50s. Yeah. So that's a 50-year-old shit. I mean, I'm thinking that's probably like calcified or something. That would hurt. You need That'd stitches after that. My goodness. I don't know. But, I mean, yeah, the kid, I mean, so what else? Do we want to spoil anything else for the for anybody who might be listening to I this first like pilot podcast? I feel like we've spoiled this whole movie. Here's a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Don't go see this movie. <laughs> I mean, what was it you said? Like, like the the girl, like after the girl dies, it's like you know, poor kid. Like, <laughs> poor kid. He has he loses his high school sweetheart and his child in the same day. Yeah, and I said that's especially rough for a six year old. <laughs> I don't know if the people around us like enjoyed our our banter throughout the film. I I don't know how anybody around us enjoyed the movie. <laughs> At least nobody harpooned a shark in the eye and, like, flew out of the water with it when it breached. They were this close. Meg, um, sorry. That was... I hope that came across on the mic okay. <laughs> Jason Statham. Damn Jason you. Statham. <laughs> well, uh, this won't be the last bad movie I'm sure we'll see. I'm sure this won't be the bad last bad movie that M. Night Shyamalan makes. I hope not. I mean, we got to have some kind of fodder for our... Our up and coming He's podcast. Just keeping that content rolling for us. Keeping that content. Um, so we're actually Slayhouse Publishing, and our our goal is to we're out of Northwest Arkansas, and our goal is to publish about four to five books um, a year to start. So we have our first book out. Um, it's called A Mindful of Scorpions, and it's on our website. The links to it are, are on our website, as well as uh, takes you to Barnes & Noble and Amazon. So if you have a preference from who you order, then it's there. Uh, it's uh, available to all major bookstores. It's just a matter of if they're going to carry it. Um, our next uh, book is planned to be a, um, an anthology of classic genre tales, because our publishing house is going to focus on science fiction, fantasy, horror, mysteries, and thrillers. And so I think our, our classic anthology is a good mix of this. That should be out later this year. We're also going to have a collection of short stories from up-and-coming writers and then maybe a second novel coming out in the spring. And that's kind of our, our publishing plan. But we wanted to do this podcast um, to kind of keep our audience on thinking about us pretty regularly. Um, regularly. There we go. Uh, we can edit that, I guess. <laughs> um, and so in our, our podcast, uh, Trevor and I want to sit down and talk about 
um, stories and books, especially those related to the genres that we're we're interested in publishing. And we're also going to do some some kind of unscripted. This was obviously unscripted um, episodes where we we try and review mo- movies um, and kind of pepper those throughout the rest of the season. So this first season, we've got quite a few authors, right, Trevor? We do. We have about 12 authors, I think, uh, from all over the place. We are starting off with conversations about horror greats like Shirley Jackson and H.P. Lovecraft and Joe Hill, as well as some lesser known... We'll get to that. (laughs) We'll also talk about some lesser-known horror greats, I think, like Horacio Quiroga, or uh, who else was on our list? I knew you were going to ask me, and I forgot to get a list up on it. (laughs) Who else is on our list? It's not important. No, it isn't. We have a lot of people. We have all the good lists. Our approach is to try to bring it some kind of an entertaining conversation about some of the best horror literature and eventually some of the best genre literature in general and talk about what makes it successful what makes it interesting and why you should read these things both jeremy and i come from a cultural criticism background. Jeremy, you have an MFA in creative writing. I have a a master's degree in Spanish literature, as well as uh, most of a PhD in comparative literature and cultural studies. I say most of a PhD. I don't think I'll ever finish it, but I have all of that Training, and I have nothing to do with it. I gave it the old, (laughs) yeah, the the old what I mean, graduate school try. (laughs) I did three rounds. That's how masochistic I am. (laughs) Yeah, so we're we're definitely going to be doing this. We've got a Patreon set up. We're going to do a Kickstarter uh, for our particular projects, for our particular printed projects um, that will be released here within a few weeks. Uh, We're going to start the podcast pretty regularly um, in September with fresh content, probably a new episode about every two weeks, I think, and then peppered through that whenever a new movie comes out that might be up our alley. We might just sit down and shoot out a quick episode to help you know, kind of review and talk about that movie and let you all know if it's worth going to see or not. Um, and we'll keep you informed. We also have a Patreon to go along with our, uh, our podcast because everything costs money. Um, and we really want you, uh, hope you, you don't mind supporting us if you like what you hear. Um, I'll be very upfront and transparent as to where the money goes to. So this week, if you decide to support our Patreon, uh, it will go to my um, my socks. I have two socks right now, and my <laughs> I have two socks right now. One of them has a big hole in it. So if you decide to support our Patreon this week, I will buy whatever I need to buy to put a hole in the other sock so that they match. It's very distracting. You definitely need a new set of recording socks. I do. They're also my church socks. (laughs) I love puns. They're my church. Well, one of them's my church sock because it's holy. (laughs) 
Special thanks today for... No, what am I saying? Extremely special thanks today to Curtis Steen and Les Eason for lending their studio and letting us record here. We'll see you next time.